Welcome to Grow With The Flow podcast with your friend and host, Itzy. Here, we inspire each other to grow, grow professionally in our career aspirations, and grow personally with our life, relationships, and confidence, all while rolling with the punches, embracing the chaos, and growing with the flow. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Grow With The Flow podcast. I am your host and friend, Itzy, and today I am joined by Nadia Okamoto. Nadia is a 22-year-old Harvard student. In 2020, she co-founded August, a lifestyle brand working to reimagine periods. Nadia is also the founder of Period, an organization fighting to end period poverty and stigma that she founded at the age of 16. In 2017, Nadia ran for public office in Cambridge, Massachusetts at age 19, at the time becoming the youngest Asian American to run. In 2018, Nadia published her debut book, Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement. Nadia is also former chief brand officer and current board member of JUV Consulting, a Generation Z marketing agency based in New York City. She has been recognized on the list of Forbes 30 Under 30, Bloomberg 50 Ones to Watch, and People Magazine's Women Changing the World. It was my pleasure to sit down and learn more about her journey as a Gen Z entrepreneur and author amongst many of the other hats she wears. In our conversation, we talk about where she draws empowerment from, her journey with mental health, navigating cancel culture, and combating imposter syndrome. So let's go ahead and welcome her. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to Grow With The Flow podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been listening in on a lot. I've actually been like clubhouse stalking you at this point because (laughs) you're just always so empowering. Um, But I'd love to start off just asking how you're currently growing with the flow. Um, I am currently growing with the flow with... uh, I think a lot of excitement for what's to come, like loving the work that I'm doing, but also nervousness, you know, like kind of the growing edge of a lot of anxiety all the time of even when I am excited, I'm always like, what's going to go wrong? Something's going to go bad. Like, you know, how can we make sure that like our team's good? We're okay. Everyone's feeling good. And um, so, so, so that's been, that's kind of been where my, my head has been. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like the momentum is thrilling and the adrenaline rush is always great. But of course, it comes with anxiety and overwhelm, but you're doing amazing. Thank you. Um, Okay, so let's get right into it. I mean, you started a business at 16. Nonprofit. A nonprofit. Yeah. How did you do that? Can you share a little bit about your upbringing and how you found empowerment at such a young age? I mean, I think, you know, my mom obviously has always really empowered me to, um, you know, speak back, like not, not speak, back, it's just really talk back, like stand up for myself, stand up for my friends, my family. And um, I think my mom has also given us the attitude of like, you know, at the dinner table, let's talk about what's happening in the world and like, what are the injustices we see around us and always really solutions oriented too, right? Like, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it, right? And so I think that for me, when I learned about period poverty and got excited about it, um, I was raised in a household where taking action was just sort of the expected thing to do. Um, My mom had also worked in nonprofits and I think was like, you know, of course, was my 
first uh, very pivotal coach to have around this and thinking about learning what a strategic plan is and like how all of this stuff works in the first place. So I would say that like my mom, of course, is a huge part of that. That's amazing. I think that it's really great to have foundation like that, but I think it's rare as women of color to have that support, right? Because for me, it was almost the other way around. And I've heard from personal experiences that you've got to like kind of take a step back and humble yourself. So I wonder what advice would you give to women now that maybe don't have that figure and are trying to find their purpose in life and how can they make a difference without that role model? Um, I mean, I think that for me, I... I, I really look everywhere for inspiration, right? Like I love reading about badass change makers, like especially women and their stories. And, um, you know, I've never really believed in having like one or two like identified mentors for me. I'm like, you kind of treat life and all of your interactions as mentors, like being mentored uh, as an opportunity, right? Like, what can I learn from these experience? Like, um, like, approaching every relationship with the utmost respect and just trying to learn from the other person. And I think that that humility, you know, cultural or otherwise, um, if you can use that to feed into a curiosity to learn and um, like, I'm a very experiential learner. And I think that that's in a way, like how I try out if I like something like I maybe want to be a writer. So then I like wrote a book or like, I try, I like, that's still my mentality around things. Yeah. And I think with social media now, like you can really gain that empowerment and see other women like succeeding and being unapologetically themselves. So you're like, I can do it too. So we yeah. appreciate you for the work that you're doing. Cause I'm sure you have, you're, you're making movements and empowering other women. Um, but fast forward to now, what inspired you to start August and write a book about pow- uh, period poverty? So I wrote the book um, a couple years ago, uh, I think just really inspired by, um, you know, what the medium of books could do to really solidify like any sort of education and you know I think that for me I've I'm sort of like an old person stuck in a Gen Z body sometimes of realizing like the impermanence of social media you know like yeah it stays on your grid but you can archive it right and like not really having that um, solidified text and so I think that that was really exciting for me and then um, in terms of August you know I spent the last few years working um, thinking about the Gen Z marketing space and of course being passionate about periods and um, I think after six years in the nonprofit space I, I did start to feel like I feel like my next step where I can do so much more is by being on the business side where I, I don't I can kind of break through the like nonprofit industrial complex of like being dependent on funding from private donors and corporations and instead saying what does it look like to build a conscious business that has purpose embedded into everything that we do but can build a revenue model that is supporting so that we can just focus on the work right um and yeah so i'm i'm super super excited for it it's been a whole new experience of you know, I think obviously I'm not 16 anymore. I'm 23. And like, uh, I think having a lot more maturity and also like obviously a connection connections to people um, who I'm really able to learn from. It's my first time raising capital. And so it's been exciting and nerve wracking. Yeah, it's incredible. I love following along. And I feel like I'm learning so much about myself as I learn, right? Because there's so much unlearning that we have to do that the media has taught us. And there was a lack of education. So really to have that platform and use it to your fullest potential is really amazing. So back to period poverty, I think it's easy for us to oftentimes think that, you know, women um, in quote unquote third world countries are the ones in poverty. Um, 
In what ways can you share for our listeners how period poverty exists today in the U.S.? I mean, you just think about, you know, if someone is uh, struggling to afford basic needs, right? Like basic necessities include period products. So whether it be food, shelter, like this is an extra cost. And unfortunately, our the legislation that govern our system uh, also reaffirm that this is like a non-essential good, right? When you look at the tampon tax that still, still exists in 30 states. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in the stories that I heard and what originally inspired me was hearing that you know, what do you do when you don't have access to period products, right? If you um, have to turn to toilet paper or socks or, you know, t-shirts or um, brown paper grocery bags, like I think that there are so many other, um, like basically options out there. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So shifting gears a little bit, I know you also kind of integrate a lot of mental health into your content. Um, and the goal of my podcast, Grow With The Flow, is to highlight women who are unapologetically themselves um, and you do that really by staying true to yourself, whether it's on Clubhouse or Instagram, you pretty much keep it real. Um, how did you build that self-confidence and own the good, the bad, the ugly? I mean, I don't really think I have it's from a confidence perspective. I think it's almost more of a like less confidence and more like I feel like there's this part of me that, you know, I have borderline personality disorder and part of it is like I have really fucking low self-esteem and like I often feel like I don't know who I am and, or the things I do know about who I am, like, it's really hard for me to accept. Um, and a lot of that is rooted in my trauma and I'm still working through it, but I'm not going to sit here and say I've worked through all of it, you know? Um, and so I almost, you, for me, I'm never planning out content like weeks in advance. I think it's very much like, you know, so much of mental health and depression and being a young entrepreneur is like really lonely, you know, like, people always ask me like, how do you balance work and school or social life? And I'm like, well, I don't have the social life that you do. Right. Like I don't, um, I don't have a lot of free time and that's a choice I've made. And it's something that I really enjoy um, because I'm, I think a lot more introverted than people think that I am. Um, and, and so I think that a lot of the time when I do post about mental health, I think that it's kind of, it's one that I, I, you know, I do feel genuinely connected to people that I've never met before, but on social media, like people that I consider some of my closest friends that I've never met, you know? Um, and I do believe in like the genuineness that you can find on social. Um, and I think it's also, you know, when I'm feeling really depressed, I am mostly feeling lonely. Right. And when it comes to my trauma, I feel misunderstood. And when I post about these things on social media, for me, it has been a really positive light where that's how I found community right? When you realize that I'm not the only person thinking like this, I'm not the only person who's experienced this. And I think it, for me, it's almost like a, it's a selfish, it's almost like a selfish motivation of like, I am searching for this community. And I'm also, again, searching for inspiration from others of how they've dealt with these emotions. And so for me, I think it's, it's a lot more of this uh, aspect of vulnerability uh, that leads to a sense of community. And that's something that for me is really, really helpful in the healing journey. I love that. I feel like you're really shifting what Instagram was for a moment where it was very much cookie cutter. And I think that that's, we've all shifted away from that. And I think it goes to you being Gen Z. And I earlier you mentioned um, Gen Z and I, I wonder what your thoughts are on why you think Gen Z is so powerful and at the forefront of impact. Um, I mean, 
Well, first of all, I don't know if I would say forefront of impact. I would say I would say that, you know, Gen Z is uniquely positioned at our age to make an impact. Right. But, you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent of like intergenerational collaboration, which is honestly part of why I love Clubhouse. Right. It's like I kind of get to talk to people who are who have more experience than me and like challenge them and learn from them and um, and be challenged by them. And uh, but I would say social media is what makes us uniquely positioned. Like we have never had the luxury of not knowing what's happening in the world of, you know, even on TikTok, like how do I get a lot of my news or how am I seeing the videos of what the real lived experience is for people who are living through what's happening in Texas right now with the snowstorms? Fucking TikTok, you know, like I think that there is such power to know about it. And then also social media has given us a way at our fingertips where we know how to take action in a way that feels a lot more natural than it does for like a Gen X user on social media. Yeah, I agree. And I think with social media, though, you get the double edged sword where you should be knowledgeable and then you bring in cancel culture and i know you've had some experiences with cancel culture and personally i think there's a difference between holding folks accountable versus cancel culture but i'd love to hear your thoughts on it well i mean i think that you know what i've experienced is i think it's for the main people who are involved was holding me accountable for the pile on after it was not so much, you know, I think that um, it's always important to, even when you look at cancel culture opportunities, like there's always, I think when you see cancel culture, I do think that there's always, it's, there's always, it's always because it's originated in uh, wanting to seek accountability from someone. Right. Um, and I think that it's really hard because sometimes it's hard to discern it, right? And either write one or the other off. And I would say how I think of it is like in the moment, it sucks, but it is an experience that I think was uh, very um, was very productive because it was my way of hearing feedback that I had actually not heard about my work before. And, you know, I started my organization at 16 and then was just like, go like you know you you just kind of do things you you try anything you trial and error like that's how i've that's how i've done everything right i don't know if anything's gonna work and i think that i had never first of all had not taken a break but also like i had never really had that time to take a step back and be like outside of my world and the people that i'm speaking to what what does this look like in the like context of society and like the context of like this overall movement right um and so for me it's it's an uh, uh something that i i think i i you know have and will continue to really see as learning opportunities and it's something that you know i'm continuing to try to hold, even hold myself accountable for right like for example when you reach out on the podcast like every time i get invited for a podcast like i really think critically of like is this something that I am, am the person to do? Or like, can I refer you to other people on my team or like even other people outside of my team who are in the space? Um, and then you'll, after this meeting, like get a, a recommendations from me on like who I think you should interview next, you know? Um, and so I think that for me, there are anything from small changes all the way to like whole identity shifts, which is 2020 really pushed me to think about like what my role in the fight for racial justice and equity is when it comes to uh, being an Asian American, right? And like what role I can play in that and what role um, I can do, do in a way as someone who is Asian American, um, grew up in white dominated cities like Portland, Oregon, you know, and um, I'm still learning more about that every day. And it's actually been a big part of my um, academic focus in college now. Yeah, I love that you took that 
that meaningful lesson is like constructive feedback, right? You took the good, you left the harm and um, you kind of moved on from it and bettered yourself rather than a lot of people. I think it's like self-pity where you go into the cycle of like, why is everyone attacking me? But it's like, we don't see it from their perspective of like, they just want to help you and lift you up. Thanks yeah, it's definitely, it definitely takes time. And, you know, I definitely went through that. I mean, that's <laughs> my depression of it, but I think um, I'm really thankful to have had like people who, you know, even my family who like were there to challenge me and be like, you know, this is this is something that, you know, um, you need to understand and fully take into consideration. And, um, you know, I had started August beforehand and it was a lot to just like put that completely on hold and be like, I can't continue on until I truly understand um, the feedback and, and how I can grow from it. Yeah. So let's get a little personal. I know that you're probably someone that spends or at least spent time in boardrooms and tables and Zoom calls of older, more experienced and specifically men. How do you combat that self-doubt and imposter syndrome? So it's interesting because I don't actually have imposter syndrome about being in those rooms. Like I think that there is a part of me where I get into those rooms and I'm like, all you people doubt me, just wait, right? where I have imposter syndrome is when I'm recognized for it. So like, I don't have imposter syndrome when I'm there, but it's like when I get celebrated after that's when I'm like, Ooh, no. And a lot of it is because like when you, the only way you can be successful in those rooms is like, if you're doing it because you like really care about what you're talking about. Right. Like give me a fucking conservative governor. I'll go off on them on the tampon tax. Right. Mm -hmm. Celebrate me for doing it. And I'm like, it, then I get imposter syndrome, right? So I think that a lot of it is, I I really struggle with what comes after it, right? For me, and I think that's a unique sort of thing. Um, but I would say that from, I just think I contextualize it in like this higher purpose, right? And I don't mean like a God sort of way. I mean, in a like, I don't really think of it, you know, in the work that I really am passionate about as I am Nadia and I am showing up because Nadia needs to tell you something, right? Like. I think I think of it as more as like, I am here standing with all of the people that I work with who inspire me every day, right? And like when I pitch even August now, like I'm with my co-founder and we show up and like we are in conversations all day with our team and our community and are fueled by that, right? And so you go in and I'm not even thinking about like, why do I deserve to be here? I'm like, I, it's like a responsibility of like, I am showing up for this thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to the imposter syndrome when you're being celebrated. I just feel like it's almost like, well, I'm doing the bare minimum. Like there's so much that I could be doing more. And there's other women that I look up to that are doing so much. So I, I can totally relate to that. Um, now as a Harvard student and nonprofit founder, activist, author, <laughs> the list goes on. Tell us about your work-life balance. Um, give us maybe some hacks for time management and avoiding burnout if you can. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I'm not a good example, but Haley Hobson, a new friend from Clubhouse, actually recently sent me the, these um, essential oils and I've never been into them, but I've actually really loved them just to like take breaks to like just breathe. Um, I think another thing is I just started a podcast and like, I haven't really promoted it. I just like do it. And I find it so fascinating because I'm like, oh, like it actually just forces me to sit down and like be there. Um, and, uh, and I would say for me, it's working out. Like I really struggle with like body dysphoria and like feeling connected to my body and like 
being compassionate to my body and uh, for me working out and not compromising on that is really important. And like on the days that I'm not really able to work out like yesterday, like I, there's a direct effect to like my, my mood swing just going like really dark. Um, and so for me working out in like a healthy amount is really, really important. Yeah. Finding time for yourself will definitely keep you a little more disciplined. And I, I agree. The podcast makes, makes me make sure that there's episodes coming out often, often, and I get to talk to people like you. So it's a little more empowering, but um, okay. So just as we wrap up, I would love to hear how um, we as menstruators or allies can reimagine periods and deconstruct the stigma and just normalize the word period. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of it is just having conversations, like just say the word period. It's not a bad word. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and tell us where you see August in the next five years. What's your goal? Um, continuing to grow. We're launching product uh, in a couple of months. And I think also like, I think that there are so many other period care solutions that don't currently exist and I want to find them. Yay, I'm so excited for you. So let us know where our listeners can find you and join the August and the period movement. Um, I am at Nadia Okamoto on social media and August is just It's August on Instagram and It's August Co. everywhere else. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nadia. This was just like the pep in my step that I needed for the week. Um, I appreciate you and I can't wait to connect again. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now for a quick but important Grow With The Flow podcast announcement. The unsettling racial violence against the Asian community in recent events has been devastating. Sadly, these are not isolated incidents, but a part of larger historical patterns of anti-Asian hate and violence since the Chinese Exclusion Act. In the U.S., over 3,700 self-reported incidents of anti-Asian discrimination occurred in the last year, according to Stop API Hate. Myself and Grow With The Flow podcast stands against anti-Asian racism and xenophobia. Please visit our show notes for more resources to seek help or support API causes. Thanks for listening to Grow With The Flow podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe for your bi-weekly dose of motivation and inspiration, highlighting successful women of color living a successful, unapologetic life, both professionally and personally. Don't forget to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or if you can't wait until the next episode, catch up with me on Instagram at Grow With The Flow Podcast or at Itzy Canales. 